Welcome to Epiphany Fellowships Podcast. My name is Dr. Eric Mason, lead pastor and founder of Epiphany Fellowship in Philadelphia, Pennsylvania. Thank you so much for tuning into our podcast. Our desire is to see people everywhere show off the glory of Christ in every area of life. God bless you as you listen and consider subscribing so that you can tune in every week to check out new messages. God bless you and take care. Uh, Romans chapter 15, verses 12, uh, 14 through 20. One, two, three, go. My brothers and sisters, I myself am Somebody say Illyricum. That same thing happened. I got to just pronounce it for every service, I guess, before um, um, the message. But that's great. Thanks for, 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 for showing your phonics through this process. <laughs> Amen. <laughs> um, today I want to talk about expanding. Repeat after me. Expanding. expanding. Kingdom. Kingdom. Territory. Territory. Father, we thank you um, that the kingdom will fully be revealed one day. Yet right now, you call us to give trailers of that kingdom in a way that is really in reality a microcosm of the massivity of what you're going to bring one day. So God, be with us and help us to be engineers in that process and see this as sacrificial commitment, Lord God. I pray that your people would zoom in and see the kingdom as more than just their personal purpose, their personal dream. Lord, if I hear one more sermon that's devoid of Jesus, but molest the inner selfishness of your people, um, I'm going to scream, God. We need to see crosses dragging through the concrete of our cities. We need to see splinters on our back from working with that cross as our backpack daily. Lord God, I pray that we would learn how our lives were bought with a price, and so we got to glorify you with it. Let the words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart be acceptable in your sight. In Jesus Christ's name we pray. Everybody agree with that? Say it. Man, you may be seated. You may be seated. Expanding kingdom territory. Um, As we talk about this subject of expanding kingdom territory, um, it lets me know, um, you know, we've been here um, almost 13 years Technically, we've been here about 13 and a half, well, about a little over 13 years, but um, we'll celebrate an official launch 13 years this September. And one of the things that um, statistics show 
is that every church usually plateaus within 15 years. Now, plateau is when you've maximized based on structure, systems, people, and Holy Ghost, a blowage, if you will, what you're supposed to be doing in that particular season. Now, the question is not whether a church will plateau. The question is, will a church prepare for the inevitable reality of it coming to the point where it will hit a wall in its commitment to God's mission? And, it, and, it, and if a church doesn't learn how to do that type of thing, what can happen is, is you, you, can, you can have numbers, you can even have money, but what will begin to happen, the core things that the church is supposed to be doing in relation to expanding the kingdom will be devoid and even missing, but because you get your personal needs met, maybe through getting a word every week, or maybe through having a good worship song and a good shout moment, and even good children's ministry, and a few other things that's personal preferences, um, but doesn't expand upon what those things are good things, but those aren't central biblical things, uh, uh, except for the word of God and, and praise and worship, that are central through our experience through the church. It's supposed to include both and, not either or. And so the Bible teaches us not to be satisfied. Somebody say satisfied. satisfied. With merely getting your needs met. Now, I know that's countercultural, and that doesn't get amens. If I preach to you in such a way where it's a word in your moment and a particular thing that you're working through on your job in the next stage of your personal life, you shout. But when it comes to something beyond your personal need, can you shout for what ain't for you? Can, can you shout for being a conduit for stuff, everything not being yours? Can you shout for somebody else's life change? Can you shout and get excited if a person that should not be a believer heard the gospel, a person that should not be walking with Christ heard the gospel, and a person that no one would have ever thought could actually change, and the gospel dropped smack dab in their lap because of gospel communication, and you see comprehensive uh, 180 in their life. Can you shout just off the power of the gospel? Uh -uh. I wonder if only you can shout about your bank account being full. I wonder, can you only shout about food being on your table? I I wonder, can you only shout about him waking you up this morning? What about shouting and having a disposition of excitement and enthusiasm and even obedience to what it means to walk um, a biblical gospel mission? And so as we look at two years from now, about two years from now, statistically, we will be plateauing. So the question is, do we wait till we get there or do we beat ourselves to it? And so, and so, and so as we look at, to me, uh, an amazing passage. I like this passage is because it almost can be theologically translated. If you practice these principles, you will never plateau. And looking at what, what, what we're dealing with in uh, the book here, we look at, in, in, before we even look at the book, we look at our values, what we value as a church. And on Vision Sunday, which this is for many of you, Vision Sunday, how many of you have been here for Vision Sunday before? Amen. 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 And so and so Vision Sunday is a time that we take time to to in a quasi preachy but teachy way work through where we've been, where we are and where we're going. And so as as we do that, how many of you know it's important for the church to know where it's going? OK, I'm going to try that one more again. How many of you believe it's important for a church to know where it's going? Amen. Amen. And so in light of that reality, um, we're going to look at everything and assess everything. Um, the, the, um, our core values is showing off the glory of Christ in every area of life through what? 
Okay, now we're going to do that again with a little bit more Holy Ghost enthusiasm. Uh, showing off the glory of Christ in every area of life through what? Core, the purpose of core values or of core convictions, if you will, is to have some type of DNA that a church has within it so that when you cut any member, they bleed them. Okay, and, and we'll talk about that in a minute. But as we get into the gospel globetrotter himself, Paul, I like this passage because this passage is nearing the end of, of, of his message to the Romans Christians, and he's writing a theological anthology of what is the gospel in content and scope. And, and what he begins to do is he wants the believer to know and understand the gospel. Let me say that again. He wants every believer or person attending church to be extremely clear on what the gospel is and what the gospel does. The problem, though, is in many churches that there is fog, there is not gospel fog. They just have fog. OK, you ask some people, what is the gospel and how did you get saved? They'll say stuff like, well, I always grew up in the church. That's not the gospel at all. Um, uh, um, uh, what's the gospel? Well, you know, I, I mean, I grew up in the church. You know, I sang, you know, and God's just been good to me. So, you know, I just always been around it. Around what? That's not the gospel. If your answers are, are those things, you're not saved. I, I'm just letting you, if you're, what, if you're putting, and this is not the business, you're being judgmental. No, we're trying to be helpful because you would want that one clarified. <laughs> and, 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 so, and so when we look at Paul, Paul uses the word gospel in the book of Romans more than, more than any book in the Bible uses the word euangelion or gospel. And so this is a very, very important deal. But what I like about this passage is his resolve in, in this passage, which brings me to my first and only point when it comes to expanding uh, kingdom territory. The church is supposed to be a community of kingdom expanders. <laughs> the church is supposed to be a community of kingdom expanders expanders look at the text verse 14 he says my brothers and sisters he includes everybody I myself am convinced about you that you also are full of goodness filled with all knowledge and able to instruct one another I wish I had time I could just preach that part but it's beautiful right here now, full of goodness is interesting because when I looked this word up, I was a little taken aback by this term because it's a term that's not the normal word for goodness and it's not used a whole lot in the New Testament. It's translated goodness, but the translation can fool you because the idea of this word means to not be stagnant. <laughs> in other words, he says, you're full of a lack of stagnance. Paul's, Paul's point is this, is that this is a community of believers that aren't satisfied to remain the same. In other words, they're open to God constantly shaking up their lives. Oh, God help me. 
In, in, in other words, he, he, he's saying to them, in, in your commitment to the Lord Jesus Christ, um, you're not people that become a, 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 a place of a lack of activity. A, a, a spiritual activity and and what's beautiful about this is they're controlled by it because the idea of full means to be under the control of that which is being said within the phrase or the prepositional phrase full of goodness so that means there, there, there's an expectation in my life where change must happen constantly meaning that it's okay for things not to be the same all the time in my life, but that God specializes in throwing curveballs in my life regularly so that I don't become a place of remaining spiritually uh, stagnant in my commitment to the Lord Jesus Christ. If you're the type of person, that, if, you're the, if you're the type of personality that, you know, you're just didactic and have plans. It's great to have plans. And then you got the hippie person on the other side, you know, they just can jump up, like, lead a job and go just do whatever. Now, there's a part of the hippie that's good and there's a part of the hippie that's bad. Amen. Because the hippie can move quickly, but they have no responsibility. The, 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 the didactic sort of, I got to have everything lined up, is not flexible. The, the person in this passage is full of goodness, both has the ability to move by the spirit at any moment and submit their life to what may override their plans. But they are able to live in the balance of planning and spontaneity. And if you're going to walk with God, you got to know that God walks in plans, but he also is spontaneous because God gives you a call, but he never tells you everything. God gives you the goal, not the road. If you're going to walk with God, am I by myself in here today? If you're going to walk with God, you got to get used to a goal. And usually when we get a goal, we make plans. Nothing wrong with that. But the Bible says many are plans of a man's heart, but the Lord orders your steps. <laughs> Meaning you have to be flexible. Somebody say flexible. I could stay on that forever. But then he said, fill with all knowledge. So that means they're under the control of truth. Oh, God. Wish I had a moment. But, but, but in other words, some of us stand on stuff God said in us, not in here. There's a difference between in here and in here. Because some of us say, well, I, I just felt in my spirit. Like, now I'm, I'm Holy Ghost down all the way. You understand? But some stuff that people say God told them ain't even in principle nowhere near sniffable in the book. And then when you try to challenge their asinine gas feelings in their soul, So they're full with knowledge. In other words, the person is full with knowledge. Test what they think they heard. 
So they're not stagnant, but they're also, they're also diligent about the truth of God's word and they let God's word control them. They don't see, they don't see the word. So I remember my preacher professor told, me, told us this when, when we were going through, it was my Bible study message professor. He said, some of my best sermons have been messed up by actually studying the text. <laughs> I said, what? Because many times you know what you want to say. But when you get in the book, it tells you what it should be saying. That's the same way your crazy soul is. Listen, we're going to talk about this in spiritual warfare. All them little inclinations, because there's some dudes out here just talking to people, laying hands on them, saying stuff that anybody can say. I ain't going to go there now. I wish I had time, but just general stuff that anybody can say. And so, but you got to be full of knowledge because if somebody lay hands on you, like, come, come lay hands on me, Pastor Kurt. Lay hands on me. Lay, lay hands on my head. Listen. When, they, when somebody lay hands, you, you, you can use your hand. Uh, you good. Use your hand. I ain't going to be like this. Right, right, right. I ain't going to be like this. I'm going to be like this. Because the issue is, now you can wipe your hand off. But you got that anointing on you now, Doc. You don't know what you can do, boy. But then it goes, and it says, not only you're full of goodness, you're filled with knowledge in that goodness, right? But then, but then it goes down, and it says, able to instruct one another. Whew. In other words, every believer should be a Bible person. In other words... The elders and deacons shouldn't be the only teachers in the church. You, you, you don't have to wait on a word for Sunday. The Bible actually says you have an anointing from God that you don't necessarily all the time need somebody to teach you. First John 1 20. In other words, we, there's only one mediator between you and God. I heard one preacher say this weekend, laying hands on somebody, you know, I'm the only one you can get this from. That's nowhere in the Bible. That means he makes himself a mediator for what God has for somebody. If I ever say that to you, run for your life and rebuke me. But if I can only give you something that I can only give you, you shouldn't be getting it in the first place. But as the text, as we look at the text and what the Bible is saying in this passage, he says, nevertheless, I have written to remind you more boldly on some points because of the grace given me by God. I love this. Paul only walks in what God has for him to do, his anointing or his, or what we would call the favor of his lane. Somebody say his lane. I like the way he's staying in this lane. I got to keep going because there's too much here and I got some stuff to get to. Verse 16. He said to be a minister of Christ Jesus to the Gentiles serving as a priest of the gospel of God, my purpose is that the Gentiles may be accept an acceptable offering sanctified by the Holy Spirit. This is dope. In other words, when he talks about Gentiles, now this would have been weird for a Jew to hear or Hebrew or Israelite, you know what I'm saying? It would be weird for them to hear a Jew saying God has appointed me to talk to Gentiles. It would have been weird because the Jews thought they were the only ones that were supposed to get the word of God. 
and that salvation was for them. It's just like the Hebrew Israelites who fake Jews try to say, fake Hebrews try to say, who did he reveal this word to? Unto Jacob. Who did he? Some of y'all know what I'm talking about. <laughs> Unto Jacob. And then they say, Unto Jacob. And it's like, no, they were supposed to be priests to everybody, a kingdom of priests to invite the globe to be worshipers of Yahweh. This should have been an expectation, right? But here the word Gentile just points to unreached people. In other words, Paul by euphemism, big A apostle, church, little A apostle, apostolic community, apostle, a two cent word that just mean one cent forth to pioneer. In other words, the church should be going into other places where nobody has gone and engaged unreached people with the gospel versus trying to put together the best show the sheep steal. Now, Philadelphia, how you talking, Pastor? It's 400 churches in North Philly, yep. But the city's 95% unchurched. Just because you have buildings doesn't mean you have gospel proclamation. I'm by myself. Paul says here, Paul says here powerfully is that he says he's called it the Gentiles and he's called the unreached people groups. There's, there, there is 1.67 million people in the city limits, 5.5 million people in the region. And, and, and listen, only 5% of those people are Christians. Now, the question we have to begin to work through as believers is, is are we committed to reaching unreached people or are we just committed um, to making the better show? Because we aren't here to merely rechurch the de church, we're here to redeem the unchurched. <laughs> so look at verse 17. He says, Therefore, I have reason to boast in Christ Jesus regarding what pertains to God. It's dope. For I would like, I would, I would not dare say anything except what Christ has accomplished through me by word and deed for the obedience of the Gentiles. In other words, he's, he's basically saying, I don't want to act like I accomplished something that didn't come through me by Christ. So I won't act like somebody else's stuff that got done is actually my stuff. In other words, if I start a ministry and people come, that they came from spiritual death to spiritual life through the ministry that was started through me. And we'll see that later, what Paul will say in a second, and why all this ties together and why is it all so important. But he says, he says, by the power of miraculous signs and wonders, and by the power of God's spirit. As a result, I have fully proclaimed the gospel of Christ from Jerusalem all the way to Illyricum. Why would he say something like that? that now, y'all should have gasped for air when he said, I fully proclaim the gospel through entire geographies. Now, the question is, has the church of Philadelphia fully proclaimed the gospel to Philadelphia? Have we meticulously in every brownstone, in every row house, every playground, every rec center, every boardroom, and every block, in every corner store, in every grocery store, in every hardware store, in every gym, been meticulous about making sure that people heard about the great mystery? We have Thousands of churches in the city, 2,500 to be exact. And in North Philly, there aren't, there aren't, there's not one mosque. 
But there are more Muslims in North Philly than Christians. But there are more churches than mosques. So the question we have to begin to ask ourselves is what in the world are we doing? Are we just passionate about our ingrown gatherings or are we committed to sacrificially living? That means now we have to grow up as believers and turn the ship of our souls away from just self-commitment. I love those who have gone out on the prayer walk. I love how those who have, who, who have been committed to <coughs> sowing into resourcing kingdom work, but we have to engage this more. And that's why Paul is saying this here to us as he's talking about a commitment and faithfulness to God. And so when we look at this, what are, what are we often ashamed of the gospel? First off, time constraints. Number two, excuses. Number three, fear of man. And lastly, not thoroughly equipped to engage. I was at Whole Foods uh, the other day, <coughs> sitting down, <coughs> you know, drinking me a little green, green, green jaunt, you know, um, and, and, and sitting down and, you know, I was about to leave. You know, I got my little, my little vegetables and little things off the little joint and waited and it was a million dollars. And then, <laughs> Lord, help me. I got to keep telling myself, my body's valuable. It's valuable. I'm investing. I got to keep telling myself. <clears throat> and as I'm leaving, I'm to this, me and this dude start busting it up. And I was like, I got to roll. So I'm about to leave. And I, this is how, now, I'm going to show you how this works well. Holy Spirit was like, go back. I was like, well, you know I got work to do. <laughs> now, Spirit was like, now look in the Bible. Now, is this the devil or me? Would the devil tell you to go back and minister? And I'm like, so I walked back. <laughs> and ended up ministering. And that, and that type of lifestyle conviction, I'm not going to say I've always been the best at. There are times where I know the Spirit of God is pricking me to minister to someone. <clears throat> but I, I, I think I have more to do than God can take care of. <clears throat> because I know that at many times the ship of my soul is turned towards what I think needs to be done as priority. I was looking at um, we in the car. My, my son Nehemiah uh, thinks we should give money to every homeless person, everyone he sees, because he's a generous. Well, Dad, what's up with him? Now, for him, he hadn't been messed up like me. I'm like, well, see, see, look at the dude. Like this one, I don't know if he. I don't tell him that. I don't want to mess him up. But I'd be like, I don't know if this one. Right now, I'm used to. I love homeless people, but I don't know. Manny the same way. Want me to give money to every homeless person we see, and so. Um, they helped me to pause even, to stop at those core things in the Bible. Like those verses we read over. If a guy asks you to give them this, give them, not, give them this. Give money and don't ask for it back. See, they haven't been corroded with fake spiritual adulthood yet. You understand? And so for me, I'm like, well, you know, that guy, he, he probably got a PhD. Oh, he probably, you, you know how we do. We got, we got a way. Look at his shoes. Like you, like you want him to be worse off enough for you to look like you should give him something. Like he has some new shoes, so he's not homeless. Somebody could have gave them to him. But I'm saying that to say that's how we treat the gospel many times. Oh, somebody will share them because God is sovereign. And whoever's going to heaven is going. The elect will be saved. 
If it's meant for him to get saved, somebody will share it. Y'all know I'm telling the truth. And so when we look at, when we look at the text, Paul was consumed with that. And, and one of the things I, I, I'm convicted about is several things. You could put that up there. Why we shouldn't be ashamed, but then it goes in, we're going to talk about the content of the gospel versus the scope of the gospel. I'm not going to go through all of this. What is the gospel? The death, burial, and resurrection of Christ, creation, fall, redemption, consummation. Creation, everything was created perfect. A fall, man jacked things up. Redemption, Jesus comes and dies on the cross, raised from the grave to not only save our souls, but to turn the natural order of creation up on its head and create a new heavens and new earth and rule forever and hand the kingdom back over to the Father. Redemption. Consummation is ultimately that reality of the kingdom being handed back over over to the Father, being handed over to the Father. Those who are going to be thrown in the lake of fire, they don't spend eternity in hell, they spend eternity in the lake of fire. They are thrown into the lake of fire forever. We who are brand spanking new, boom, get to get a brand spanking new body. We're fully glorified and we spend eternity reigning with Jesus Christ. <laughs> That's the content of the gospel. But the specific thing out of that you believe is that Christ died on the cross for your sins as a substitution. Now, when we look at that, we say the scope of the gospel is different than the content of the gospel, even though it's connected. The content of the gospel points to substitutionary atonement. Christ is your substitute. Don't check out now because this is the stuff you need to hear. Christ is your substitute. Boom. But then when you become a believer, it even, 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 it's still part of the content of the gospel. But the scope of the gospel is, is what the gospel does. Christus victor. We have victory over different things. So that doesn't mean that nothing won't happen to you. And that you can speak trials away from you. It just means that trials will come and they should not overtake you because Christ's death is victory over everything you go through. So when we look at the scope of the gospel and the content of the gospel, we need to show the kingdom to people. And Christus Victor is us applying the gospel in broken neighborhoods to say your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. That means when he sees people that used to shack up together and make excuses, say, we gonna, I'm going to move out. I'm going to do this right. You know what I'm saying? I know what we was doing, but plat out. Boom. Guess what I'm going to do? I'm going to go ahead, get under this leadership, get up under this gospel. Boom. I'm going to let the men get with uh, me. I'm, I'm going to let the ladies get with her, get this disciple on. I'm going to go through this pre-mountain if we're supposed to be together and everything boom then we get together then we live together boom the gospel changes then one dude just one person just finagling their finances using it for their own ends going to the clothespin you know spending your check before you get there then you get saved and you understand the content of the gospel then you got the scope of the gospel because you got the scope of the gospel now you understand that stewardship has to do with everything in your life and then you begin to say man I'm always I'm out of money why am I always out of money? maximizing my money let me do this okay now let me get in the law first boom honor the Lord with the first of my wealth boom that's done but then but then even though the whatever belongs in we don't have to say Tim, but all of it belongs to him. Boom, gave that, boom. But then over here, then I utilize every mechanism of my finances to make sure I'm being a comprehensive kingdom steward to what God was doing. Boom, we got saving, we got this, I'm out of debt. Boom, kingdom express and changes everything in your life. Everything. The gospel changes everything in your life. So now I gotta move. <coughs> so he says, and then I'll lay out a couple of things and I'm done. He says in verse 20, my aim is to preach the gospel where Christ has not been named. That is nuts. So that I will not build on someone else's foundation. This is nuts. So 
one of the things that's important for us as believers and as a church, as we look at our aim should be that, is to not build on anyone else's foundation. Now, what we mean by that is not that we stand on the shoulders of people that have gone before us. That's not what it's saying. It's saying that I want to, I, I aim at going at a sphere and I'm not afraid of non-Christians. I'm not afraid of Christless environments. Because I believe the gospel is so powerful that it was made for Christless environments. Oh, I wish I had a shout charge right there. In other words, I believe the gospel is so powerful that it can go into center city corruption and outer city corruption and change souls and change everything. So what are we doing as it pertains to vision of that? And, and, and what are we working on now? You can put up the why. Are we trying to get a new uh, facility and expand our territory? So we look at gentrification and student housing in the neighborhood. One of the things over the last 10 years that we've seen is something that's, that's been a challenge. And that's been, we've changed our target group 10 times in this neighborhood because of transiency. So what'll happen is we'll do a prayer walk and do videos and we'll meet families, we'll meet college students, we'll meet young professionals and we'll be sharing the gospel with people. Some of the folk will end up coming to church and we'll see some of them baptized, see all kinds of ministry done over the years. I mean, I, can, I, mean, I mean, the block campus have changed Tons of times the student population goes through. And so what begins to happen to a church in that type of situation and environment is it can't develop a solid disciple-making base or a solid missiological base to be able to spread the gospel in a community. And so what happens is if you meet all of those people and then the next year is different, you have to change the application of your vision, particularly if you're asking what are the needs of the community, and then you start trying to build out those needs to that community, but then a year later, um, they're gone. And so the question for us is, we, we've, we've had about 4,000 people come through this ministry, and most of that 4,000 uh, haven't left <laughs> because of anything bad, just because of natural life transition. So we are planted in what I would call and what we would call a transient zone. And so with planting in a transient zone, we have to begin, we, we'll see how transiency, and of course, students, professors, all that, right? But then number three, we have to reinduce the vision and build new relationships every year. So we need incarnational engagement of neighbors for long-term relationships, look at me. So what we wanna do is we want to put this entire ministry in the situation where we can build long-term incarnational relationships. That means the way it was meant to work is when the gospel comes to an area where there are geographical people groups in that particular area who are long-term residents, that doesn't mean we're, not, we're against gentrification. That doesn't mean that we're against uh, uh, um, uh, um, student population. That doesn't mean we're against young professionals and families and people who um, are on public assistance who want to transition out of being in that situation. That's not what we're saying. However, the way it usually works is you go into an area you preach and proclaim the gospel, find people of peace who people know, and they're, they're unlocked doors to different people and relationships and groups of people and things in the neighborhood where the gospel can spread naturally without us having to do a prayer walk every time, without us having to do an outreach. In other words, the best way for the gospel to spread is not doing an outreach. The best way for the gospel to spread is for you to meet people of peace, see those people of peace changed by the gospel, and then the, in their circle of influence, they become gospel influencers in the neighborhood through their particular sphere where the gospel can spread without the church leading a event-based 
outreach, but it becomes more relational, long-term, long-lasting, and sticky because they're already connected to the people. The people aren't connected to the gospel yet. So what's our solution? <laughs> In order to have regional and global impact, we've had global impact, 33 churches, we've done a lot of work, over a million dollars given away, praise God for that. We need a rock solid core membership. That means we, we're, we're cool with everybody attending, but what we do want in the midst of that is we want rock solid membership. That means people that are committed to the vision and values of the church. And I thank God for so many of you who have come and become members. Our average co covenant community class is 30 people, which is unbelievable and unprecedented in a neighborhood like this and in an area like this. And so we're thankful for those who have put their hand to the plow, but it's not enough to just sign a covenant and get the right hand of fellowship. You have to have to keep the covenant and, uh, and, and everything involved in that in order for the ministry of the gospel to actually work there, it's not just getting the piece of paper, it's being the piece of paper. Yeah. Right? And so, and so, so many of y'all, I'm not beating you up because so many of y'all have been committed to that, right? But then, kingdom work demands unprecedented generosity. That means you got to give. Yeah. I ain't asked you to throw nothing at my feet. I didn't ask you to do that. I never asked you to do that. I didn't ask you if I make a good point. You come up and do that. If you want to do that, it's, going right, it's not coming to me. It's going right in the baskets into a general fund. Amen. And then we'll budget it. And so when we look at this idea of kingdom, kingdom, kingdom work and unprecedented generosity, we, we need you to think financially about the church too. Not just feed me, but financially. Hallelujah. Amen. I'm going to just shout on that part for the people that don't want to shout. Amen. Next, we need our church to grow by 50% of men. When we first started, when we first, I'm going to take time and we're going to probably, I'm going to just, can I finish this up? I really need to. We need, well, I know y'all want me to finish that part. Um, when we first started, we were 50% new believers and 50% men. Ask some of the people who's been here for a while. We're 50% non-Christians. Like people were bringing, like people would bring 10 of their non-saved friends. They would get saved and baptized, everything, Right. Um, and so what we had to borrow baptismal. Those were different days. The room looked like you was visiting somebody in prison. I mean, different place. And, and, and we had 50% men. Loved it. As the church has grown over the four to five last covenant community cycles, it's been 15% men. Now, we can just keep on being happy that we got numbers, but I get concerned when there isn't a stout amount of men coming into a local community. Okay. And so, and so that means that we have to assess and engage that reality strategically. And, and listen, we're not just wanting the church to grow by 50% men so more of you can get married. Amen. Somebody just walked out. They're like, hmm. They just walked out the church. <laughs> Because it's right. Because it's right. And then we want you to get married. Those who got the gift of marriage. I, don't, I haven't met too many of y'all got the gift of singleness yet. Amen. So, but then we need to sell our current building. We weren't going to do this, but we, we tried to get Gardner Prayer down the street. And, they, and we outbid, but they ended up selling it to a developer. And so, this is the way you do things. When you think a door is open, you go to the door, you hit it, the door closes, what do you say? Nothing can be given to anyone unless it's been given from heaven. Unless you train yourself 
that a no is either not now or something better, you're in trouble. If God didn't give it to you, it wasn't for you. No matter how much you dreamed about it, no matter how much you planned it out, no matter how much you imagined it, if it's not yours, it's not yours. <laughs> Amen. So guess what? We began thinking, man, we may have to move because we, we're not going to financially keep both buildings. Don't make sense. If this neighborhood is gentrifying. So guess what we're going to do? We're going to stay in North Philly, but right now we're in negotiations. We're trying to find different properties. We've, we found a 110,000 square foot facility. Monstrositus. Monstrositus. Oh, they put it up there. There y'all go again. Good work, y'all. Good work, y'all. So they put it up there, and, and, it, and it's still in the neighborhood, but it's in Strawberry Mansion in an area that's very neighborhood but connected to the city. And so we'd be able to build out all of our long-term vision through that particular facility. So what would that give us the ability to do? We, was, we bought this building for $650,000. Now it's worth multi-millions of dollars. So guess what that would give us, in Jesus' name, the mighty ability to do? To sell this money. I see you over there. Tasha's going like this. Um, they give us the ability... Give us the ability to sell this property, take that capital, pay this property off, keeping the lot um, for now because we promised the city we wouldn't sell for 20 years because we got them for a dollar. So we got to figure that out. But, for the, but they worth a lot of money now. I mean, we just got to offer last week cash off of $425,000 just, just, just for the lots that we paid a dollar for. Look at God. So then... So, so, so what we want to do, take, that, take this capital of selling this facility, buy that facility and build it out in phases and not cash out ourselves. So what we would do is we put a significant hundreds of thousands of dollars in savings, put hundreds of thousands of dollars in uh, an emergency fund. Keep that money, be able to either develop that building from scratch, cash, or we'll have a low debt ratio and still have all of that money in the bank. Or we would build, which we're about to buy some stuff on share sale soon, where it's nothing but land. And so those are our options. But with the one with the, with the building option, we would still have a little debt, and that would mean we'd have to do a capital campaign. We want to keep money in the bank. So that means you all will have to make it rain in Jesus' name to be able to pay that off. And then what we'd be able to do is we'd be still on gospel mission, but tied to changing people not tied to a facility. Yes. And so that, that's all I have for you today. But I want you to be prayer, for, prayerful about that. Uh, we will be, the elders, we will be updating you about what's going on. We, I mean, like we did, said at the members meeting, we want to get your feedback. Um, we we want to we hear, hear from you. And a lot of you have been just massively encouraging, particularly as, um, as, as the body. And so we thank you for all of those different things. And so let's go ahead and close in prayer because we got the one o'clock service right here soon. Father, we thank you. We honor you and bless you for the opportunity to share um, and expand kingdom territory. And this is about, this is not about uh, um, blowing up or something. It's just really about just doing ministry. And so, God, give us wisdom, give us grace. And, Lord, if someone here doesn't know you, thank you for tuning in to today's message. I hope that it was a blessing to you and it was aiding in your life to help you to show off the glory of Christ in every area of life. If this message has been a blessing to you, we want you to consider partnering with us in ministry so that we can maximize what God has called us to do locally, nationally, and internationally. You can go to epiphanyfellowship.org, go under give and consider donating. Thank you. Take care. See you next week.